Thank you, choir. Um, and thank you, Mark, for sharing. Um, I just want you to know that uh, Mark and Lisa are normally the last two to even leave church now as they chat with everybody. So. A reading from Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. As we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that had been put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think I've shared this before, but Barbara Brown Taylor, in her work, Altar in the World, uh, begins the whole book with this story. This story of Jacob from Genesis 28. And she tells about her own time of being awakened to the presence of God. She was in Hawaii by a tide pool, and she said this moment in her life just reminded her of this story of Jacob. Jacob woke, she says, saw nothing out of the ordinary around him, same wilderness, same rocks, same sand. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, he said out loud, and I did not know it. How do you know, Taylor asks. Can you prove it? Even if Jacob could never find the exact place where the feet of that heavenly ladder came to earth, even if he could never find a single angel footprint in the sand, his life was changed for good. Taylor says, having woken up to God, he would never be able to sleep again, at least not to the divine presence that had promised to be with him whether he could see it or not. 
What really happened? God knows. All Jacob knew was that he had to mark the spot. So Jacob rose early in the morning, the story tells us. He took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. Jacob set an altar in the world to worship the God who met him in his days. And this moment of worship shaped who and how he was as he took those next steps in life. The Lord shall be my God, and of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. As we've said the past few Sundays, we're using our time in worship each week to reflect on our calls as disciples of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? How does it look? Last week, we named three things together, belonging to the body of Christ, becoming more like Jesus, blessing the world. This Sunday and next, we'll look at that first part, belonging to the body of Christ. And what the story of Jacob tells us is that part of how we live our faith, part of how we belong to the body, is in and through worship. Now Jacob may not have been sitting in a pew within a congregation of believers when this story takes place, but he had been so shaped by a story, so shaped by a worship life in community, that he had a way to respond to God in worship when God showed up. As disciples of Jesus Christ, as members of the body of Christ, we are called to a life of worship, to respond when God shows up. We believe that this one hour each week has the power to shape all the other hours. That this hour helps remind us that the whole world is the house of God. How we, like Jacob, can wake up to the presence of God in our days. Now, I don't know if you've ever really thought about this. I hadn't before I read um, a book called Christ's Time for the Church. Uh, It talks about how Christianity is a religion that takes time seriously. I mean, think of the resurrection account, this book says, early on the first day of the week. You read through scripture, you see that God makes God's self known right along events taking place in the world. There are political events in the days of King Herod of Judea, or this was while Quirinius was governor of Syria. We tell a story not of some separated God where things kind of up here happen, but we tell a story of a God moving and acting in the world at definite times and places. When speaking of Jesus coming, scripture says, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God invades human history, assumes our flesh, heals, teaches, eats with sinners. Jesus participates in real time with us. As John 10 says, at that time, the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple. Jesus is put to death on a specific day, a day related to the Passover festival of that particular particular year. And have you ever thought that Jesus doesn't just rise? Jesus rises on the third day 
of this is part of the same time we inhabit. Time that is measured by a calendar, by seasons, by political events. The same time in which we buy groceries, we wash our car, we go to our jobs, we go to sporting events, we celebrate birthdays. And then our worship life together is also shaped by time. By the early second century, the Lord's Day had become a Christian term for the first day of the week. It was separate from Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week. Non-Christians started to notice, as we find in a, a work from 112, says, on an appointed day, they, meaning Christians, had been accustomed to meet before daybreak. And then Justin Martyr, writing in Rome in the second century, he said, we all hold this common gathering on Sunday, since it is the first day on which God, transforming darkness and matter, made the universe. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, rose from the dead on the same day. Eventually, we move from Lord's Day to Sunday, comparing Christ rising from the dead to the sun rising in the morning. Now, Sunday day, or gathered worship, it didn't become a day of rest until Constantine in 321. Before then, it was this annual, I mean, this weekly anniversary of the resurrection. A gathered body of believers coming together to celebrate and remember the resurrection. The day that the sun rose from darkness, the day that new creation began. We gather as a body of Christ at an appointed time and place each week, the first day of the week, the start of new creation, because we believe this time, this hour, has the power to shape all the other hours. To remind us that we believe in a God active and present in our days, in time, in real life. And the hope well, the hope is that this time together even shapes how we understand time. Like Jacob, this moment of worship shapes who and how we are as we take our next steps. The Benedictine nun, Joan Chittister, um, she said that life made more sense to her before the invention of the light bulb. She says, without light bulbs, there were only so many things you can do in a day, and only for so much time. When night came, you had to stop, right? Sit in front of the fire, take stop, or just go to sleep until the light returned. She says, now the world stays awake 24 hours a day, watches TV 24 hours a day, eats 24 hours a day. How many of you have been on the cruise ship with a 24-hour pizza bar? I was excited by that. You can party 24 hours a day. You can scroll social media 24 hours a day. The world moves 24 hours a day. And in a way, it's made us come to think of time not as a gift of God, but as a measurement, right? A measurement of our work. And sometimes it suffocates us. Sometimes it wears us down. We feel beaten by the clock. I think that's why quiet quitting is rise. It's a rising trend right now. I don't know if you've seen that. How many of you ever said, oh, I have so little time, or gosh, that year flew by, or this week has been so long, when time still goes by the same amount? 
It's this delusion that the daily of our lives is of little significance. The daily round of sunrise and sunset, one theologian says, that marks the coming and passing of each day is no longer a symbol of human hopes or of God's majesty, but a grind, something we must grit our teeth to endure. Just the other day, my daughter informed me that sometimes in the morning when she wakes up, what gets her out of bed is knowing that she can go back to bed later that day. (laughs) Sunday morning no longer feels like the sun rising from darkness, the start of new creation. We're just tired on Sunday morning, right? Yes? Now, I'm going to admit that um, before the light bulb, there existed um, that time's own challenges, and I'm not sure I want to go backwards. But I think this is what becomes our challenge now. Not getting up on Sunday morning and giving up your one free morning. That's hard in and of itself, and I get. But the real challenge, I think, for us is believing and allowing that this one hour shapes all the other hours. I also kind of feel like this is what we all most desperately desire. I mean, over and over again, I hear the same longing, a longing for release, a release of anxiety, some peace in our days, some renewal, just being present, some rest, some joy. Some of this comes as we reimagine time, as we reimagine Sabbath, as we reimagine worship, as we wake up to the presence of God in the very midst of our daily lives. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that if you just come to worship enough, God's going to fix all your problems. But I am saying. Our story of faith has something to say to us about our daily lives. Our worship life has something to say to us about how we shape our days and our weeks. Part of what we hear in Jacob's story is the practice of waking up to God. As Jacob said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Worship invites us over and over and over again to join together at an appointed time and place regularly to meet God and to respond to God. It's an event that falls within our days, our time. It's a gift that comes as we, like Jacob, wake up to the presence of God in this place and remember that it is within time itself that God meets us. That time itself is made holy by God. We meet to worship with other believers at an appointed time and place because we believe in a God who is concerned about us in our days, who meets us in our days, a God who takes time seriously, a God who transforms time, a God who stepped into human flesh to walk the road we walk. Worship reminds us of all this and invites us to reimagine time as we remember God is with us. Think of our affirmation of faith. We are not alone. We live in God's world. 
Now, if you know the story of Jacob, you know that he was a trickster, a swindler. He was a pretty questionable guy. But he had been so shaped by a story that when he found himself in the presence of God, he knew what to do. As Barbara Brown Taylor says, Jacob saw where he was and said so. He turned his pillow into an altar before he set off, praising a God who had come to him where he was. Amen.